Hello, and welcome to another episode of Conversations at the Washington Library, a podcast about early American history and the people that teach it. I'm your host for today's episode, Anthony King, and in this special episode, I'm going to be sitting down with Dr. Joe Stoltz and Dr. Dan Stefanelli to review some audience questions, and uh, we did a poll through various social media platforms, and we've compiled some questions from our listeners, and we're going to tackle these as best we can, so... uh, Keep in mind, we're going to do this live, so we're going to do the best that we can with all the answers that we got right on the spot here. So oh, boy. Thanks for joining me, gentlemen, <laughs> and uh, let's uh, let's get right down and into it here, then. Yeah, because how could this go wrong? <laughs> Not at all. Let us count the ways. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't foresee many, but uh, you know, there is the contingency plan that we've got for this. And just to be clear, Danny and I have not seen these questions ahead of time, so you're they getting not. raw historian action here. Only I have seen the questions yeah. ahead of time, so... Let's start off with a interesting one here. Uh, this comes from our Instagram account. This is at Mount underscore Vernon. If you'd like to follow us, we would greatly appreciate that. This comes from Livy underscore Adelman. Thank you, Livy. Uh, is it true that George Washington asked for raisins for his birthday? Birthdays. I don't know. I have no idea. Did we stump you with the first question already? Plausibly. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't like raisins? <laughs> I imagine raisins would have been an uh, appropriate uh, sort of, uh, you know, minor luxury item in the 18th century. So, uh, you know, most of the, the sweet things they ate were connected to, uh, you know, even... Non-direct sugar. Right, you know. right. I mm. mean, if, you know, you, when you use sugar things, like if you ate fruit... Tin- Non-processed sugar. That's, that's the way Yeah, tin fruit or throwing... F- Sugar, sugar on fruit—that was sort of a common dessert mm-hmm. thing. So, do we know of anything that he liked to have around his birthday time? Anything special? Maybe, maybe not was maybe wasn't raisins. Well, there's the great cake. Did we have to do that for his birthday? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I think that was for holidays. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. The great cake, which is God's gift to butter. It's <laughs> <laughs> a massive pound cake. Look, look up right. the recipe on our website. It's uh, you're going to want to go to the store and get more butter before you try and make it. Yeah. Okay. Good one. His favorite food was hoe cakes right. with honey because it, it was. was soft and his teeth hurt. The teeth could easily yeah. he did, chew something. <laughs> yeah, he did like sweet things. Yeah. I mean, he liked fortified wine, so that's wine with sugar in it. Uh, his Madeira mm-hmm. wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he liked the honey on, mm-hmm. on the hoe cakes. We know that. So he did have a bit of a sweet tooth, uh, you know, no pun intended, I guess. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Given the state of his teeth. All right. We're going to stay on our Instagram account here, and we got another question uh, from Ashley Megan Hill. Thank you, Ashley. Why did GW join the military if he saw himself as a farmer? Uh, well, that's a great question. Uh, he, you know... Starts out as a as a as a small uh, property planter uh, near Fredericksburg. Uh, it's, a, it's a modest acreage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he goes into the military because by going into the Virginia military, that's connection into Virginia politics. Uh, if he's going to want to make his way up in the world, uh, you know, those political connections will help. Uh, so that's probably. I mean, he's probably looking more of it as. You know, government service yeah. uh, and patronage system. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you can go back to this this third son or fourth son. You know, he, he was a younger son, so in the sort of the British tradition, he was not someone who was destined to inherit uh, wealth or or uh, 
a position in society. So for, you know, in, in Britain, uh, in Europe, the model was if you, if you were not someone who was destined for greatness at birth, then one way of getting ahead was to join the military and presumably to uh, you know, ideally have great victories on the battlefield mm-hmm. or or at sea and, and, and to be rewarded for that service. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, if, if you're born, born into a certain position, ser- service in the militia was expected, mm-hmm. right, in Virginia Colony, and it would have been in the early states, uh, you know, probably as an officer. So it was one of those things that the upper class did for various reasons, mm-hmm. both uh, because of expectations and because of a desire to improve their station in life. Yeah, and, it's, and it's a revenue source. I mean, and to be clear, when we say, you know, George Washington thought of himself as a farmer, you know, he, he's not going out cutting that tobacco himself and hoeing his own fields behind the ox. You know, <laughs> right. He, he sees himself as a property manager. Yeah. Uh, and, and the property he has initially is not producing that much revenue just it just doesn't have the acreage so you know also going into the the military as sort of an extra career um is is just a way to build capital and improve his station yeah there's probably the the farmer planter distinction is maybe worth mentioning here you know we're talking about cash crops to a certain extent uh not not foodstuffs necessarily um you know so the idea that you're you have a you're, it's a farm, but it's it's a plantation. And you're planting things that you're going to sell to people to make money. Uh, you know, it's usually a plant factory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, t- plant talking plant about mass, exactly. you know, mass <laughs> quantities of a few of a few crops, yeah. rather, okay. rather than a, a wide variety of foodstuff sort of things. Good distinction. Um, so we've got another one here, and this would be near and dear to Joe's heart, based on your previous research that you've done. Uh, it's from AML12877 on our Instagram account. Did President A-M-L. Washington ever meet Andrew Jackson? Did President Washington ever meet Andrew Jackson? I don't believe so. Uh, they did live, they were contemporaries. Uh, but Jackson at that point, Washington would have been alive, uh, is I believe the entire time uh, still going to be in sort of the North Carolina, South Carolina area. I don't remember when he moves uh, west to Tennessee, but even if he did, by that point, him and George are not in the same circles. Jackson actually was the last president to do military service uh, in the American Revolutionary War. He was in the militia for a brief period uh, during uh, sort of the southern phase of the war against the British. Um, Probably not supposed to legally be doing it, but that's Typical Andrew, <laughs> yeah, because he was uh, so young. Yeah, because he was so young, mm-hmm. uh, and it's actually something he he plays on when he runs for president. Is uh, this you know somewhat truthful, a little bit, a ex- little bit uh, exaggerated, exaggerated story about how uh, he has a scar because mm-hmm. uh, this British officer uh, who was at his house boarding there. Uh, wanted his uh, wanted Andrew Jackson to polish his boots, and Andrew Jackson refused as a young man in the spirit of you know, freedom and liberty. And and Jackson got smacked with the side of the guy's sword, uh, which still cuts a little bit because there's you know still a blade there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 Martin Van Buren found that really good <laughs> to uh, help Andrew, really good to promote to help Andrew Jackson become president. But no, they didn't meet that I know of. Yeah, as far as we know. As far as we know. <laughs> uh, cool. So we're going to move over to our Facebook account right now. 
And we got a message from Jim Anderson, and his question is, did Washington have a British accent? Well, not to be pedantic. Uh, no, please be pedantic. Oh, oh that's not <laughs> um, I mean, you know, so there's it, it, Scotland is calling, and they 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 were Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland are all calling. I would like clarification on what a British accent is. Uh, you know, even if you're just talking England, <laughs> right? I mean, even an English it. accent. Uh, I mean, even now, there's still really th- at least three sort of major English accents. Oh, I'm, I'm sure the English. And I mean, I, I have my my English friends, my British friends, have sort of gone through the list of cities and you know demonstrated yeah. the variations in the accent <laughs> there. Yeah. Even within London, there are multiple accents. I think. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and I mean, you think even even in, you know just on the U.S. Eastern Seaboard. I mean, Georgia has an accent. It's different from South Carolina, North Carolina, which has a different accent yeah. than. But but to, to bring this back to George, maybe a little bit, yeah. I guess, even though I think we don't have a specific yeah. answer. Uh, you know, there has audio recordings of George Washington <laughs> speaking. We'd love to see yeah. that. You know, the, and, uh, the British recognized that there were sort of idiosyncrasies in the ways that Americans yeah. spoke generally. So whatever whatever the Amer- the British American accent was, you know, can easily be. It would have varied by geography, as, as Joe was just alluding to. Uh, uh, but, you know, there, there were, uh, certainly there were similarities in, in the patterns of speech between the British homeland and British America. But, I mean, you know, you, big variation throughout the British Empire in this, mm-hmm. in this era as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, there's, you know, English or British English as the, as the lingua franca, the, the common language between everybody, but... Probably not a standard way of pronunciation. And in Washington's letters, when you know letters of introduction, you see this uh, you know pretty frequently. Uh, this person pronounces their name this way, uh, you know, or or sending word ahead. Uh, expect this person to come here. Here, you know, this is their name, which sometimes rhymes with something to to sort of clue somebody into some. Uh, to how someone's name may be pr- pronounced. So uh, that variation uh, was, the expectation of variation was shared throughout throughout the colonies, I, I presume. So. Mm. so I think it's safe to say that we just don't know. <laughs> we, we do not we, have we, dialogue. We do not have the definitive confirmation, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, not and, likely. <laughs> right. Any, any movie, any historical fi- piece of, of uh, historical fiction uh, or documentary you see today where people are, are uh, using speech, we, you know, di- dialogue is constructed in, in modern time. We, we really don't know exactly mm-hmm. how they spoke. Mm-hmm. But again, if anyone has audio recordings of George Washington... <laughs> I, I think I can feel comfortable saying Mount Vernon would pay substantial sum for those. <laughs> many, pe- many people would. Many yeah. people would. Yeah. I would want even authenticate. Yeah. I mean, no, you can't. Oh, it'd be great. Yeah. Be great. Um, so, we're moving on to our Twitter account at Mount Vernon. Um, please follow us. And uh, here's one question we've got here from Robert Kugler at Aloha Coogs. Uh What were the general's favorite libations? Well, I mentioned Madeira wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got that that cherry bounce uh, recipe on the Mount Vernon website. Been wanting to make that myself. Uh, is a, a a brandy cherry juice mm-hmm. sort of a mix. Right. 
<laughs> it's quite an involved yeah, happy it's hour a pretty, library. <laughs> it's a pretty involved recipe. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it sort of goes along with his sweet tooth too. I, you yeah, know. I mean, he, we we know he uh, he did on occasion uh, uh, drink uh, what they called claret, uh, which is which is uh, Bordeaux wine, French Bordeaux wine. Uh, would have been a major export. Um, it doesn't travel the best, so you mostly see him getting that when he either has to really impress or uh, when the French army's here. Um, go figure, the French army puts a lot of investment in making sure they can get their Bordeaux delivered wherever they need it. You don't say. Yeah, I know, it's weird, huh? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the, the especially for, for like just basic drinks that uh, easily something Madeira is probably yeah. George's go-to. Most, most accounts of, of him at dinner and stuff mention wine, him drinking wine. Yeah. I don't know specifically it, what he was which, drinking. Which normally there. would have been Madeira. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a, a pretty popular in, in America. In that yeah, because it's it's, since it's fortified, it, it traveled better. Whereas with uh, you know an unfortified wine, you risk, you risk spoilage in, in the cask and stuff. Oxidization. Where do you, call your call your onophile friends if you want a full explanation. Yeah, I don't know how much of a beer drinker he was. There's that recipe for small beer that that Budweiser yeah, sort that of was, adapted. That was for really the enslaved and workers. Yeah. Oh, right. oh, that Budweiser. No, that Budweiser thing recently was complete. <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. But uh, and I don't. It doesn't seem like he he was a big whiskey drinker, even though even he had produced still. No, I mean we uh, probably the, one of the biggest alcohol purchases he makes in his life is whiskey. Well, the first time he runs for, or the second time he runs for House of Burgesses, right. he hands out some free whiskey. Uh, but yeah, whiskey and beer would have been yeah. swelling the bumbo, right? That's yeah. the the phrase uh, for the drinking. <laughs> awesome. So let's move to uh, a what if question here. Uh, so we're still on Twitter. It's at uh, Lady Cornwallis. What would have happened to George if he'd been the one to surrender at Yorktown? I imagine he would have gone on trial for treason. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it would not have ended well, I do not think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, I can't imagine that the uh, the crown would not have brought him back to London, certainly yeah. for trial. Um, if there's one person whose head was on the block, I'm pretty yeah. sure it would have been George Washington's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it would it would have behooved the crown, and you see you see the debates even as the war is going on about not prosecuting it. Too fiercely, um, despite the uh, <laughs> British war crimes that are often depicted in modern American movies. Right. Uh, uh, so I think you know, so Br- British policy at that point probably had been one big show trial with a nice splashy ending, uh, and then commute. Yeah. Other sen- sentences mm. in the spirit of reconciliation, but that show trial is going to be George Washington. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even you know the English Civil War, which was you know famously moderate for its period, there were some beheading. <laughs> there, was, there were a few people who who got it, uh, and so I, I. Yeah, I mean, I think technically, drawing and quartering was still on the books in British law for high treason, but you know the. This is the age of reason. They're too civilized for mm-hmm. that at that point, right? Of course. Yeah. Right? Ma- ma- of course. Yeah. Yeah. So they're going to invent nice, efficient methods for execution, like guillotines, later on in the French Revolution. Yeah. Which is only a short while away. Yeah. <laughs> after, Next episode. After the revolution. <laughs> okay. Um, sticking with Twitter again. Uh, we've got one from Cheryl Alsbach. 
Cheryl L.C. Alsbach on Twitter. Uh, would GW consider his time as General of the Continental Army or his time as POTUS his greatest service to our nation? Or, or is, is, it, is this an either or? or? <laughs> would he have considered it? That's the question. Yes. We're yeah. saying which one he would have been more proud of, or what are we. Which one he would consider his greatest service to our nation? Hmm. I have a feeling winning the revolution was probably the bigger. I mean, it, it, it is the thing that, that entailed the most international notoriety and the, probably the greater. Uh, mm -hmm. in, in its own time, beating the British Empire was probably recognized as as the you know impossible to achieve yet yet thing that was achieved. Um, I'm I'm not sure George himself shared that view uh, because he he was very apprehensive about taking on the presidency mm. in light of his en enormous success on the battlefield, uh, or at least his enormous success, his enormous success in winning independence. Um, so personally, he may have found uh, the presidency more challenging, uh, but I, I'm not sure he, he would necessarily have thought that was his, his greater achievement. What do you think, Joe? Uh, I, th I mean, not that we can lay him out on his very nice blue couch, and if you don't get that <laughs> reference, check back to uh, an episode last week's episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I think I'm going to agree with you, Dana, uh, that it would be the revolution. But in the sense of, I don't think he really had as. I mean, he he leaves the presidency fairly frustrated with with politics, uh, and he only gets to enjoy sort of his retirement for a few years before he, he dies. So I think he would have had more time to sort of reflect on the magnitude of the Revolutionary War. Um, you know, I, I'd throw a third one in, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, the Constitutional Convention and, and successfully going from the Articles of Confederation to uh, the Constitution of the United States uh, might have ranked up there as well, mm. um, because that's quite a hard thing, right? I mean, you, you you just fundamentally altered the way of government in the United States and did it without a shot fired, sure. which is pretty impressive. Yeah, um, and even though he didn't shepherd ratification, it was... He's know, intentionally not shepherding ratification uh, uh, Knowing people, everyone knew this was a, George, yeah. a document created under Washington's guidance, so... Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I do... I think the apprehensiveness uh, is is maybe a key consideration because yeah. he pretty enthusiastically wanted to become commander in chief in 1775. <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, <clears throat> but he was much more apprehensive about becoming president. So, um, you know, I think that speaks to what he thought was the greater challenge. Yeah. Well, well said. Uh, we're going to switch over to Facebook here again, uh, and we've got some questions here from uh, Catherine Donley Maldoff. Thank you, Catherine. Do you have a, uh, ongoing archaeology sites at Mount Vernon, and do you feel there is anything left unexplored on the grounds? Uh, we do. Uh, there, there are right now two active archaeology sites at um, the two, the two big areas they're doing uh, work in, one is, is what's known as South Midden, uh, and it's essentially the trash pile for the mansion. Um, dumpster out back, if you will. <laughs> uh, 
Which, right, I mean, they, they, they don't have trash takeaway in, in the 18th century, so you would you, you just sort of have a spot where you, you throw all your stuff, right? But we can learn a lot about what was used in the house by checking what they threw away. Um, the other spot that has received a lot of archaeological work of late has been uh, the cemetery for the enslaved population, um, or at least the portion we've discovered so far, mm-hmm. which is sort of the lead-in to the next point of, yes, there are still lots of things uh, to uncover, uh, they're still trying to uh, figure out the, both the limits to the slave cemetery for the enslaved that we're aware of. Um, but I believe there's some. I mean, just numerically, this this can't have been uh, all of them. So, is there another spot on the property? Which, if there is, we'd like to know so we don't accidentally build on it. Uh, we don't right. obviously build anything here at Mount Vernon without doing archaeological work. Um, and then one of the things that's uh, you know. Our, our archaeologist, I think, it sort of jazzed about some time is uh, you know, there was Native American settlement here on what's going to become Mount Vernon. There was just a story a month or two ago, right, in in uh, the news about uh, some school kids that were participating in a dig. Yeah, it was here back in uh, October, I think. Was it a okay. couple months ago? <laughs> uh, all, yeah, time flies. Yeah, uh, and they, you know, kids doing whatever I don't know, playing in dirt, whatever archaeologists do. And uh, found. Uh, <laughs> I, I think they do more than that, Joe. <laughs> yeah. We'll just say that. Yeah. Uh, and 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 this this uh, high school student uncovered uh, some sort of primitive Neolithic tool that mm-hmm. set back uh, the presumed uh, first sort of human settlement in the area. You know, a thousand years. I don't know how they. Yeah. I don't know. I, I joked with a friend of mine that's an archaeologist that he was taking so long to write his dissertation. I was like, why, why is it taking so long? Your, your dissertation is literally just your diary today. I found a pot shard. <laughs> <laughs> I, should, I should clarify, former friend. Right. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, not, I love our archaeologists. I have not been following. I don't, yeah. This, yeah. Joe's answered this question much better than I could, too. Well, fantastic. Um, from Matt Carson on Facebook here, are there any Masonic symbols or artifacts at Mount Vernon? Uh, and did Washington hold any Masonic events there? There are. There's something, right? Uh, I don't think there's any symbols. I believe uh, in our collection we have a few things, but the majority of uh, the George Washington Mason connection artifacts are held uh, a little bit north of here uh, at the uh, George Washington Masonic Memorial in Alexandria, Virginia uh, that that was given from the family to the local Masonic chapter because they, they were Masons. Um, so that was donated. So I think, I think they still have uh, most of that. Was there, there was a, another part of the question, right, of Masonic events. Masonic events. Yeah. Uh, Not that I'm aware of. No, I don't think so. Uh, it's there's there's an interesting letter that Washington. <laughs> so there's a series of letters that Washington receives as president. We have a few uh, of them here in the library, uh, and it's it's a guy writing uh, George Washington uh, when he's president, and and, and and he's a big fan of Washington. He's like, hey, I just moved here from Western Europe, and I love America, and this is awesome, but. Uh, have you heard of the Illuminati? Because <laughs> I think they're trying to infiltrate the government through the Masons. And, and Washington, right, he feeds the trolls. He actually replies to the guy. And he's like, uh, I don't think so because, you know, I, th- I think we're fine. And this, this correspondence goes back a few times and Washington's like, no, seriously, we're, we're fine. I've, 
I'm a I'm a Mason. Uh, I haven't seen anyone try to take over America at at the meetings I was at. <laughs> right. Uh, and this goes back and forth. The guy sends Washington a whole book on the Illuminati, yeah. and Washington finally is like, "Look, I actually don't go to a lot of event Masonic events. I'm not terribly involved anymore, but I, I really don't think this is happening. Please leave me alone." Right. Which could be depending on your perspective, like you know, dispositive. <laughs> no, there is no infiltration or Exhibit A in the infiltration of the Illuminati in America. So. Yeah. Nice. We're going to go back to Instagram here uh, for our last couple of questions here. Um, This one comes from Clayton RM47. Thank you, Clayton. What was Washington's worst personal fear, such as snakes, death, etc., or fear about the future of U.S.? Failure, I think. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was a very ambitious guy. Yeah, I mean, he did not, he, he did not want to fail at the things that he did. Um, you know, he, there's that being conscious of his defective education thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he, he also feared looking foolish in mm-hmm. public, uh, and that was something, uh, you know, maybe a smaller scale thing that motivated his self-education, uh, his, you know... Fear of public, he had a little fear of public speaking. He's yeah. terribly confident at yeah. doing it. You know, the teeth don't help. He, he apparently had sort of... Uh, speaking of his voice, I mean, what, one of the things we do hear about is he has sort of a What's the word? Sort of airy voice is the way I've seen it for mm-hmm. history. Like a, a not a wheeze, but yeah. breathy, breathy, yeah. breathy hmm. voice. Not the big stentorian voice. We probably <laughs> want him. To not have. the way it's portrayed in media these days. No, <laughs> no. Um, Always by an actor with a deep voice, yeah. right? Right. <laughs> deep and authoritative. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think I, I'm going to go with failure. Um, and I think you see that plague him all the way into you know essentially how he's going to the issue of slavery is going to affect him is because I think he sees it as it bothered him to some extent because he saw it as a failure to figure out a solution to the problem it's something by the end of his life he he is both economically and morally opposed to the idea of enslavement but can't figure mm-hmm. out a way out of it that yeah. he sees you know politically uh, possible uh, and I, I think he struggles with that failure and I do think he saw it as failure Probably because he has Lafayette and Hamilton tell him that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm just. I think that's probably right. But I, I do think the you know the imposter syndrome sort yeah, of thing yeah. that you know he he was very conscious. You know, we talk talk about the rules of civility, and uh, a lot of that is about how you appear in public. And you know, he did not did not want to appear to be base, you know, lower class in his demeanor uh, and the way he conducted himself with people. And so, you know, uh, worrying about what what people, whether people thought he deserved <laughs> to be to be the greatest man of his age w- was something that, that preoccupied his mind. I don't know if that qualifies as a fear or not, but it was, it was on his brain. That is well said. Uh, and what we can take away from this and is... And spiders. <laughs> okay, unlike Indiana Jones, it seems like Washington was not afraid of snakes. Not to work. Not, not to I mean, as far as we know, record. as no. far as we know, he did not write in a letter. He said, <laughs> not "Those snakes no. <laughs> gave me the chills." Uh, so we're getting to the last question here, and this is one that we got uh, 
frequently throughout the various social media platforms that we put out our, our inquiry to. Uh, so we just want to say thanks again to all of our guests who uh, and, and uh, listeners who participated in this uh, little trial run that we did for this. Uh, in fact, this is a special anniversary of our 50th anniversary uh, episode that Joe and I have done since we took over last year. Um, so thank you for listening, uh, and we hope that we can do something like this again uh, in the future here whenever we, we need some, uh, some content. Um, so the last question here, uh, what's your favorite thing about George Washington? Ponies. No. <laughs> uh, Dana? Boy, You're that, the editor of the George Washington Papers. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough <laughs> question. Uh, you know, I, I, Joe mentioned his brief retirement after, uh, after the presidency, but in a sense he had a first retirement, mm-hmm. which was after he turned in his, you know, surrendered his commission at the end of the Revolution. And... Uh, and I, you know, he, he he was still relatively young then, and he really wanted to enjoy that retirement. I mean, he he, you know, you do get the sense of someone who who is enjoying life, enjoying retirement. Uh, he enjoyed fox hunting. He enjoyed <laughs> riding. Uh, you know, he spent there. Are, if you look at his diary from from those years, you really get the sense of a guy who's just relaxing and having fun a lot of the time. So, um, you know, I, it's, I think it's interesting. I'm not sure that that's my favorite thing about George Washington, but <laughs> I, th- I think it's interesting that you get a glimpse of of him as a regular person uh, in you know enjoying his life. Uh, and and not sort of the serious commander in chief or president that through mo- you know that dominates his image in most other instances. Joe, my favorite thing about George Washington. Uh, I mean, I guess you could go with the, uh, the 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 sort of standard you know things I respect most type things you know his convictions and. Uh, you know his leadership qualities. Um, I think. I think, as as the director of the George Washington Leadership Institute, though, that's sort of a pass. <laughs> right. Qualities. So I will uh, dig deeper, and I, I will sort of agree with you, Dana. Uh, but I'm going to go with a different one. George Washington's sense of humor, hmm. um, which you don't see a lot. No. Uh, we don't have a lot of in the historical record. Uh, but he did. We do know uh, from the, the stuff we do. Have uh, that he had a very uh, dry, sarcastic sense of humor uh, that I think helped because he was always so understated and so, mm-hmm. so in control that it actually let him deliver those lines so much more uh, powerfully. Uh, and interestingly, because of the uh, uh, MPAA rating that we need to keep this show at, <laughs> uh, I can't you some of the jokes that George Washington has <laughs> in some of his correspondence. Uh, but uh, they're there and uh, he could he could be a little naughty at times. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's fun. You, 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 it's, it's fun the moments you, you see him, like Dana said, you, you get to relax. Uh, so you know, I think my favorite thing is that he was in fact a human being. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's, you know, who, who was it? Sir Asimov is the Marble Man. Like, did the first... Hmm. Biography. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's the interesting thing that I think for us as teachers of George Washington is if the guys 
perfect and 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 deified like a god, then it, it actually becomes very hard to teach about mm-hmm. him because he's not relatable. Yeah. So I think my favorite thing about George Washington is he was in fact a human, <laughs> um, which lets us tell fun stories. And that it does. And may the stories continue. So thanks again, guys, for joining us here. And uh, let's do this again in the future. Okay. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations at the Washington Library. Be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.